All right, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8 is where we'll be looking at this morning. And, and as you're turning there, let me just say, this is going to be an incredible story for us to look at this morning. I wrote down a few words that, as I first read it this week, I wrote down just a few words that I thought stood out that, that described this story. And I think it just may be a good introduction for us here. This story that we're going to look at, starting in verse 28, this is a, a strange story. That's, that was one of my first thoughts about it. This is very, very strange story. And then as I started reading through it, it became a very fascinating story. It, it had my interest. I wanted to, to read more about it. I wanted to study it. I think it'll be interesting to you too. It'll be fascinating for us. And then the last thing that popped out to me, and, and I think this will be the reason I titled it the way I did, is this is a supernatural story. As the focus of the story, and I'm always looking through it to find the focus. What, what is, what's the, the main point that God wants us to get out of it? And the main point that He has here is power. It's supernatural. The, the power that Jesus shows us here, He has a power over the forces of evil unlike anything the world has ever seen. So the focus of this story today is about the power of Jesus, how powerful He is. So I titled this sermon today, The Supernatural Power of Jesus. So you'll see that as we look at it. So let's stand together. I want to read to you verses 28 through 34. And this is the greatest power. We've seen a lot of miracles, but this is the greatest power that we've seen so far. I said so far. We'll see even greater power later. But this is the supernatural power of Jesus. Starting in verse 28, I want to read. And when he, being Jesus, was come to the other side of the, into the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? And there was a good way off from them a herd of many pigs, swine, feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into that herd of swine. And he, again Jesus, said unto them, This is the only word Jesus says in this whole passage. Go. <laughs> that's, a, that's power. You guys ain't, ain't there yet. We'll get there. Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine, and behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished into the waters. And they that kept them, the, the, the pig keepers, they that kept them fled. They run away and went their ways into the city and told everything that was befallen to the possessed of the devils. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, this is a surprising ending here. They begged him. They besought him that he would depart out of their coast. Leave us. Is that not an incredible story? Let's pray and then we will look at every, just about every single word in this passage. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the supernatural power of our Savior. We need a Savior that's strong. We are that lost. We need a Savior that is powerful. We need a Savior that can overcome the forces of evil. Yes. If our Savior isn't that strong, we don't, have a, we don't have a Savior at all. But I love that your word says our Savior is that strong and more. We have a very able Savior. Able to save me, able to save anyone in here. Able to overcome all demonic powers and forces of evil. That's our Savior. And God, I pray that I'd be able 
empowered by your spirit to present him in that way so that everybody that walks out of this building today will say, wow, what a Savior. That's my goal here today, to point everybody to him. And I know that I will fail. I need your help. Please. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. As we start out, I want to I uh, give you some good news and we'll give you some bad news. As a way of introduction. And usually if you look at I'll look at you and say, which one do you want first? Do you want the good news or the bad news first? And I don't know which one you would choose, but I get to choose that because I've already wrote down which one I want to do first. Uh, and I want to do the bad news first. Here's the good news and bad news. The bad news first. We have a very, very powerful enemy. We have an enemy. His name is Satan. He can be called the devil. He's our adversary. Uh, he, is a, he is real. He's not a, a fictitious character. You need to know that. Satan is a, is a real being. He was the most powerful, most glorious angel in heaven before God cast him out of heaven. He is a real being and he is really, really powerful. He is not weak. He's not somebody that, that I can cast out. He's not somebody that you can cast out. He's not somebody that, that I can rebuke or you can rebuke. He has power that is so far and beyond any power that you and me by ourselves or even combined can go up against. He is a very powerful force of evil. He has, and I wrote a couple things down here, he has super strength beyond any strength that you or me can have. He has a supernatural intelligence. He, he knows things beyond <coughs> what you and I would know. He also has a supernatural power to perform wonders, and he does. So he is a real being, and he is real powerful, and he is real dangerous. He's scary, and he's not alone. See, the devil doesn't have the, the, uh, the power to be everywhere all at once. So when he was cast out of, out of heaven by God, he took a third of the angels with him. So he has demons now that, that are loose on the earth. A, a third of the, of the angels are called fallen angels. He has multitudes. He has hordes. The Jews would say at this time that they couldn't put a needle in the air without touching a demon. That they are all around us. I don't know if it's that many, but that, that was in, in their mind. They, they thought de demons were all around them. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of demons fell with Satan. And now they are inhabiting the earth. They are free to roam and do whatever they want to do. As Satan's bidding in the world. First John says the whole world lies in the lap of the evil one. And these, the, the devil and his demons, are our enemy. That's scary. Something that powerful. Something that intelligent. Something that strong. And they oppose us. They are against us. They are out to get us. That's scary to me. I can't face this. That's bad news. They, the Bible says, Satan is a roaring lion seeking to devour us. The Bible says Satan is like a serpent. And he seeks not only to devour us. Devour is something that you know when a lion's going to go up on you. You see a lion coming and it's going to, it's going to jump out at you and jump on you. And it's going to devour you and everybody will see that. He's, he's wanting to do that to us. But he's also like a serpent and is very wise and very subtle. And he doesn't just want to devour. He wants to deceive us. That's a scary thing to me. I, I'm more scared of a snake than I am of a lion. I can see a lion coming. And I can outrun most people. <laughs> So it's not going to get me. That's all I said that when we was at the zoo. We saw a lion. He said, isn't that scary, Dad? I said, it doesn't scare me. He said, why? I said, I can outrun you. 
And he looked at Gracie and said, I can outrun Gracie then, you know. So we just started down the line, the slow man, you know. So a line, you know, it's big and you can see it coming. And there's certain things about Satan where you know it's it's obvious. But then I'm scared of snakes because they can crawl up in a corner. They can sneak around. They slither in places that we don't see. And they can get us before we even know what happens to us. So not only does Satan try to devour us, he tries to deceive us. Also, he can damn us to hell. That's what he's after us. The Bible says he seeks to steal, kill, and destroy Ephesians 6 says that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but we wrestle with, get this, principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness. That's who's up against us. It goes on to say against spiritual wickedness in high places. This is our enemy. This is who's after us. And if you read this and understand this, it's out there. It's in the world. It's in our schools. It's in in our political places. It's even in churches. This is everywhere. This is all around us. And as I read this, I thought, what can puny little old me do against something so powerful as Satan and his hordes of demons? It's scary. It sounds bad. And it is bad. He's real. He's real powerful. He's not alone. And he's after us. You say, Josh, we're ready for the good news. (laughs) The bad news is we have a very strong enemy. The good news is we have an even stronger Savior. And that's what this passage is going to teach us here. We don't have anything to be scared of. Jesus is infinitely more powerful than Satan and every single one of his demons. Jesus is, if they are strong, Jesus is stronger. If they are intelligent, Jesus is more intelligent. If they can do wonders, then Jesus can do substantially greater wonders than all of them combined can do. Our Savior is greater than all the forces of evil. Greater is He that is in me and in you and in us than He that is in the world. We have an infinitely stronger Savior than we do our enemy. I I like that. And the Bible says, I'm getting into the story. Genesis 3.16 says Jesus is coming to crush our enemy's head. 1 John 3 says that the purpose in Jesus' coming was to destroy, obliterate, annihilate all the works of the devil. Revelation chapter 20 shows us Jesus crushing the head of our enemy. Revelation is a great book. It shows us the end of our enemy. That's right. God had the power to cast Satan and all of his hordes out of heaven. And in the future, He'll have the power to cast every single one of them into the pit of hell. So in this story, you say, why are you telling us this? Because this story shows us just a little bit. Of Jesus overcoming the forces of evil. We need to see that. I don't have to be scared of them. I can stand behind my Savior and know that He will fight for me. Bless God. I don't have to fear. You don't have to fear because greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. We have one on our side that can fight our battles for us. We are weak. We are puny. I'm just a little old puny man standing behind a very strong Savior. So I'm going to show that to you today. As Jesus has a head-on collision here, it's heaven versus hell. This is one example of His power. This is one example of, of what He can do. He's not fighting. Last week He was fighting the forces of nature and the natural world. And today He fights the forces of evil in the supernatural world. And this shows us, again, the supernatural power of Jesus over the forces of hell. So let's look at it. Again, I titled The Supernatural Power of Jesus. You need to see this. 
I needed to see this this week. These things are around us, attacking us, trying to devour us, deceive us, destroy us, and damn us all the time. And we need to see that Jesus is greater than all those things that want to attack us. So let's look at it. I'm going to give you three headings as we work our way through this, this passage. I want to start first with the supernatural confrontation as they come head to head. Jesus and this demonic man comes head to head, to head face to face. It's, it's mono and mono here. And you see it in verse 28. Let me show you. Verse 28. This is a supernatural confrontation. It says, and when he was come to the other side of the country of the, the Gergesenes, so you see what happened there. They, they got to the other side of the sea. Last week they were on the sea. A storm hit. Jesus stood and said, calm, peace, be still. And it stopped. And they all just kind of had a peaceful little boat ride all the way to the other side. And as they get to the other side, they finish their trip. They dock their boats. It's early in the morning. Some commentators would say it's about 5.30 in the morning. As they get to the other side of the, of the sea, they dock their boat. They start walking up the shore. And as soon as they walk up the shore, they are in direct contact confrontation with demons. I mean, as soon as they get to the other side, it's like storm, a little bit of calm, demons. These disciples are probably sitting there thinking, what have we gotten ourselves into? Disaster, now demons. And as soon as they get there, well, look at it with me, they met two possessed with devils. It says possessed with devils, it means they are demonized men. What does it mean to be demonized? It's a real and supernatural reality to become demonized. It was very common in the New Testament. It was an unprecedented time. In three years of Jesus' ministry, it was like that uh, all of hell was let loose as all of heaven came down. And there was an, a battle that took place. So there, it was a very common reality in the New Testament for people to be, become demonized, to be demon-possessed. In, in that time, it was out in the open. Today, it still exists. It's just in a more subtle way. So these men are demonized. It means that they are... Now I'm going to tell you what it means to be demon-possessed. If you guys want to know, I'm sure you're sitting there thinking, what does that mean? It means to be completely under the control of a demon. It means that a demon comes in and takes over your mind. A demon comes in and takes over your body. A demon comes in, you can see in the story, he takes over the mouth. He actually speaks for this person. That a demon comes in and makes you a new person, a new personality, a new voice. You're not thinking and acting and speaking for yourself. The demon is doing all the activity for you. It's still you in the flesh and you're in there somewhere, but the demon has now taken complete control of who you are. I love that and I'm going to sidebar this. Christians are completely protected from being demonized. Those who are without Christ, you're weak. It can happen you're vulnerable. So it's a demonic takeover. A person, is, a person who's possessed is likely to do anything. Anything. You say, how do you open yourself up to that? Again, Christians are protected. Non-Christians are vulnerable to this. And you see it more in areas where they, there's idolatry and occult and witchcraft and paganism. You get into that stuff and dabble in that stuff and you're just opening the door to being demonized. So these two demon-possessed men come running down the hill at Jesus and the disciples. I want you to picture this. They're coming out. What does it say where they come out of? Back to this verse. What are they coming out of? 
It says they're in the country of the Gergesenes, and they met two possessed devils, and they were coming out of. I want you to picture this in your mind. As they step out on the shore, up here is in, in, in the Gergesenes, there's, there's cliffs. And in those cliffs, that's where they buried their dead. They were, the, they were called tombs. They would put their dead back in these caves in the cliff. And Jesus and the disciples step on to the shoreline, and down running out of the tombs comes these two demon-possessed men. I'm going to go ahead and say it now. I would get back in the boat. <laughs> if something come running out of the tombs at you, I'm back in the boat and I'm rowing my way back to the other side. Row, row, row your boat gently back to the other side. And it's not just that they're running down. They're, they, they're, they live in these tombs. They live among the dead. They live in darkness. They're hiding in caves. They stay where evil stays. Evil always stays in darkness. They love dark more than they love light. They love dead more than they love life. They're infatuated with darkness and death. Do you know those types of people that are infatuated with things of darkness and things of death? I'm not saying they're demon possessed. I'm saying it's demonic. Right. So they live in the tombs and they come running down. And Mark chapter 5 says that they're stark naked. I've got to tell what Scripture says here. Picture this in your mind. I know you don't want to picture that. Here come these two men running out of the caves. They have no clothes on. I can teach you this too. That, that it's twisted and perverted to be unclothed. When Adam and Eve sinned and realized they were naked, God immediately clothed them. When someone becomes demonic, the devil unclothes them. So the, I'm not saying you're saying, oh, if somebody is naked and, and, and showing themselves, that's, that means they're demon-possessed. No, it means it's demonic. Ouch, John. God covers, Satan uncovers. So they're running down through there without shame. God gives people shame. The devil makes them shameless. So here they come running down. Here it says uh, they're, they're strong, they're fierce. Mark chapter 5 says that, that they're running down and they have shackles on their hands. That people in that time, if somebody was demon-possessed, they would take them and handcuff them with, with chains. But these guys were so strong that they kept breaking it and tearing them asunder that nobody could control them. That they were like, like on steroids and they were just breaking everything. Every time somebody tried to control them, they break free. So now they're running down this mountain naked, fierce, out of control, with chains dangling from their arms. Anybody else joining me in that boat yet? Okay, I thought, I'm waiting. We're not done yet. It says in, in Luke that they're screaming, shrieking loud, ear-piercing sounds as they're running down this hill. Mark 5 says that they are cutting themselves with rocks, hacking and mutilating themselves. Wow. And it says here, look what it says. Two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs exceedingly fierce so that no man would ever pass by that way. Normal people would jump in the boat and, and turn around and go back. No man went that way. They were out to attack anyone who come near them. So the, the, there comes running in Jesus. Raging maniacs. Evil monsters. I mean, just think about these things in your mind. Dangerous lunatics. I'll ask you again. Would you not get in the boat and run back? I'm, I'm rowing. I'm getting away from these people or I'm standing behind someone stronger. Is that not what you do? 
Because when they come running down, uh, I'm sure the disciples are, are scared to death. I'm sure they're, they're, they're shaking. Who is this? What are the, what's going on? What are they doing? And there stands Jesus, and He is unmoved, and He's unfazed, and His disciples get behind Him. You get behind the One who's stronger. And there stands Jesus. He sees these guys running down through there, screaming and shrieking with chains on their hands, cutting themselves with rocks. I mean, they're out of control. And Jesus stands there, unfazed, unmoved. Come on, boys, get what's coming to you. I like that. And look what happens. Verse 29. And behold, that's a word of surprise. <laughs> they get to Jesus and they're surprised. And they cry out in un unexpected cry. They scream in terror as they cry. Why do they cry? Why do they stop? Anybody else would go running in the other direction. But there stands Jesus and they get to Him and they stop and they scream because they know who it is. They recognize Jesus. They know who He is. It's, you say, how do they know who He is? They've known Him since time began. So they scream in terror. They recognize Jesus. And look what they say. Behold, they cried out saying, What are you doing here? We didn't expect you here now. And they call Him Jesus, the Son of God. That, that is who He is. He is Jesus, the Son of God. They knew exactly who He was. There's no confusion on this. The demons knew what even the disciples didn't know. They called Him the Son of God. They knew exactly who Jesus was. And now when they run up, they were screaming and hollering. And now, Matthew 5, 6 says, you guys can turn there if you want to, they fall down at His feet. Yeah. Who's the strong one? They hate Jesus. They are against Jesus but they bow the knee and confess Jesus as Lord. Doesn't the Bible say that one day in the future all, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess? Things above the earth and things under the earth. So not just all of us will bow and confess, but even the demons will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. And here's just a preview of what they will do in the future. They will bow the knee and they will confess, what are you doing here? Jesus, the Son of God, you are Lord! And it also shows here the demons have great theology. The demons have better theology than the Mormon church does. They know who he is. Imagine this. Demons might even fit into some churches. You say, how do you get that? They bow down and worship. And they confess him as Lord. A lot of preachers would say, oh, right, join the church. But they're not saved. You better be careful. Yeah. You say, how do you know if there's demons in your church? I wrote down a few things. Demons will try to deceive you, divide you, damage you, and destroy you. Yeah. They'll deceive you. They'll divide the church. The Bible says that's what Satan does. Divide and conquer. They'll damage you by trying to slander you, whisper about you. The term devil, diabolos, you know what that means? Slanderer. Whispering about people. Amen. There may not be demons in their church, but there's demon activity in the church. Yeah. Whisper about that one. Whisper about this one. Did you see this? I bet they do this. That's not of God. That's not of God. Amen. That's of the devil. Yeah. Oh, but they worship and they, they confess. 
Yeah, demons believe and tremble, but demons aren't saved. Now they have a conversation. And again, Mark and, and Luke add to this. They cried out saying, What have we to do with, you, with, Je- with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? And in Mark 5, 9, Jesus looks at him and says, What's your name? And the demon says, our, our name is Legion, for we are many. A Roman legion was upwards of 6,000 men. These, this man is possessed with upwards of 6,000 demons. I'm going to say around 2,000. I'll explain that in just a minute. This guy isn't demon-possessed. He's demon-infested. The demons say, what are you doing here? Aren't you early? That's what he says. Aren't you early? I like that about the demons. They, they not only know that Jesus is Lord and they bow down to Him and they know that He's God, they know their future. They know their destiny. They know that they are doomed. They know that one day in the future that Jesus is going to cast them into the outer darkness, into the abyss. They, they know the truth about their destiny. He says, isn't this early? <laughs> yep. Aren't you here early? I know that you're going to do this to us, but not right now. They have good... Uh, they have good eschatology. They know their eternal destiny. And they know their faith. They know what Revelation 20 says. That Jesus is going to cast them into the abyss. And then they're going to be into eternal darkness and eternal falling. They know where they're going. And they don't want to go there yet. Let's look what they say. Aren't you early? Verse 30. And there was a good way off from them. I heard of many swine feeding Pitiful little pigs. They're off on the side. They're feeding. They're in the mud. And the devils beg Jesus saying, if you're going to cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. Don't send us to the pit yet. Don't send us to hell yet. I think that's how lost people act. They don't want to be saved. They know they're going to hell. But they don't want to go there. Give us some more freedom. Give us some more time to do what we want, how we want, when we want, while we're here. Don't don't, don't cast us into the abyss yet, they say. Don't go into the the pit yet. They're begging, please don't judge us yet. Don't judge us yet. Don't judge us yet. And there may be somebody in here today saying the same thing. Don't judge me yet, God. I want more time. I need more time. Let me be free for just a little bit longer. I need more time. That's what they're asking for here. Please, I need more freedom. I need delayed judgment. Please, don't judge us yet. You see what's going on here? These powerful demons that can possess a man and control a man is now bowing and begging before the stronger man, Jesus. They can't do anything without His permission. I don't know if you guys are getting that. Please, that's my kids when they want to stay on out with somebody. Please, please. They're asking the stronger one. <laughs> Until I say, go ask your mom. <laughs> They're asking this, please, please, can I play PlayStation for another hour? Please. Can I have a new iPhone? Please. <laughs> That's crazy. Please. <laughs> I'll do anything. Please. You see what's going on here? These strong and mighty and powerful demons, and it's upwards of 6,000 of them, and now they are on their knees before Jesus, the Son of God, and they're saying, please, 
Please let us. Please allow us. If you will, don't, don't throw us into the pit. Send us into the pigs. Anywhere but the pit. Send us into the pigs. You can imagine those pigs saying, huh? <laughs> Shows a great truth here. Satan is a lion. But he's a lion on a leash. And Jesus holds the leash. Picture that in your mind. I said we have bad news. There's an enemy that is strong and powerful and intelligent. Does wonders. But we have a Savior who's strong. And this lion who's trying to devour us is on the leash of the Almighty Savior. And he only goes as far as the Savior allows. He only does what the Savior lets him do. There's no point in all of history where that leash fell out of Jesus' hands. And he says, oh no. Jesus has the leash. And when Jesus pulls him back, he pulls back. And when Jesus lets go, he lets go. If Jesus casts out of heaven, he casts out of heaven. If Jesus casts into hell, he casts into hell. If he casts into pigs, they go into pigs. Because Jesus has Satan on a leash. Satan is no match. For the Savior. That's right. So we see the supernatural confrontation. I want to show you the second, the supernatural command. Look with me in verse 32. He says, Now and he said unto them, Go. Did you see that? Such a simple command. I mean, it's as simple as you can get. He doesn't what? Get this. I, I, I think this is great. There, there's nothing, there's no formula that he gets. There's no ritual. There's no cross. There's no holy water. There's not him trying to work up anything or fight anything. We've all seen the movies, the, the exorcism movies. And there's a fight going on. It's a demon versus a priest. And they're back and they're forth. And who's going to win? No, 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 no. Here, there's no formula, no ritual, no cross, no water. There's only one word. Jesus says, go. And the demons go. That's the power of Jesus. I like that. If I said go to a demon, you know what the demons are going to do to me? <laughs> I mean, that's what it, it even says in the book of Acts. We went and tried to cast out demons and they, they said, Paul, we know. And Jesus, we know. But who do you think you are? That's what's going to happen. I'm going to say this and it might get me in trouble. But I've heard people pray. Satan, we rebuke you. <laughs> and Satan, who do you think you are? Puny little me. Powerful Satan. The only one strong enough to take on Satan is Jesus. Yes. The Bible doesn't tell me to rebuke Satan. The Bible tells me to flee from Satan. And to stand behind the only one stronger than Satan. Jesus says go and there's no fight. If I say go... They laugh. They don't listen to me. If Jesus says go, they go. It's supernatural power. Luke eleven twenty, and I, I, I love this. You guys better be glad I didn't turn, make you turn there and preach this. But Jesus says, "If I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, with just a nitsy bitsy little finger, it's not even hard for me to do." You guys, I didn't mean to, I didn't, this to come to my mind. You guys infested with ladybugs right now? We are. 
And my, my kids was, oh, ladybugs, oh, ladybugs. And I brought my kids over to the side. And I said, here's a ladybug. Now, I'm not trying to be mean, but I said, here's a ladybug. They were scared, oh, ladybugs, oh, ladybugs. And I looked at them and I said, well, watch this. This is what we do to ladybugs. <laughs> <laughs> and now, now the kids go around. <laughs> and you know what that ladybug did? I don't know where it went. <laughs> you know, there it went. Jesus says, and if I, with the finger of God, cast out Satan. It's nothing but a ladybug in him. And it's gone. One word and he casts out upwards of 6,000 demons. One finger overcomes the hordes of Satan. Amen. That's how powerful he is. He has the power to cast them out and to conquer the kingdom of hell. That's who Jesus is. And look what happens. I, I like that word, go. One word in the whole passage here, go. And, the, and it says, the very next word, and they went out. <laughs> I mean, there, there was no. And I'm going to go back to the, to the disciples who wanted to get on the boat with him. They kept saying, no, we've got, we got stuff to do. No, we're going to have to go say bye to my dad. I want to bury my dad. I can't go right now. We, we can't do it immediately, maybe later. The demons didn't say, okay, maybe later we'll go. Maybe we got other things we need to do with this guy first. It was immediate. And they went out. No waiting, no excuses, no discussion. It was on the spot. They did as he said, when he said it, he has authority. If he had told them jump, you know what they would have done? They would have said how high. And what happens to them? <laughs> Poor pigs. And he said, they said to them, go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. You say, why did Jesus send them to the herd of pigs? As visible proof of what just happened. Simple. If there was no visible proof, everybody looking around said, ah, I bet he just calmed down a little while. No, what you have here is Jesus said, go. And immediately on the spot, I mean, instantaneous, a wild man on one hand and calm pigs on the other. And Jesus said, watch this now, this is good. Because you had a wild man over here and calm pigs over here. But when Jesus said, go, the, the wild man became calm and the calm pigs became wild. So now there is visible proof for everybody that's looking. Something just happened. I bet she cast out those demons. You tell me. And they immediately run into the sea. The whole herd of swine. Mark 5 says there's 2,000 pigs. Legion means 6,000. There's 2,000 pigs. I'm just guessing. Maybe a, a demon per pig. 2,000 demons. 2,000 pigs ran violently out of control as far as they can, as fast as they can, away from Jesus. Let's get out of here. Jesus didn't send the demons into the pit of hell. He could have. He could have sent them, sent them to the pit and they'd have been there even today. Jesus let them loose for a little while. I'll get you one day. You'll get what's coming to you. Right now, go to the pigs. And the pigs go off the cliff and they die. We don't tell that side of the little story, do we? This little piggy ran off the cliff into the ocean and died. We know the little piggy went to market. Little piggy stayed home. Little piggy tried wee 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 all the way into the sea. (laughs) 
you'll tell that from now on. <laughs> but what he's picturing for us here, and I'll move on, he's picturing for us exactly what he does with our sin. Yeah. I think it's the book of Micah 7.19 says he casts our sin into the very depths of the sea. Yes. That when he forgives us, he casts it into the sea of forgetfulness. And you guys know what the sea of forgetfulness is. In that time, they didn't have the technology that we have. So when something fell in the sea or fell in the ocean, the parents would look and say, it's gone for good. You ain't getting that back. And when they say he's cast our sins into the sea, you ain't getting those back. They're gone for good. He's showing us what he does with our own sin. And see here, and they, they that kept them fled. You see in verse 33? The pig keepers left for the city. They went back to the city there and they told everything. Everything that just happened. They walked into the city with shock on their faces and they say, this guy... That, you know, we all know these, these guys. You know, you know these guys that they live in the in the tombs up there, and we're all scared to death of them, and we won't go that way. You know those guys, and you know that outside of them there's a bunch of pigs. I mean, imagine this story. And they're sitting there going to the town saying, these two guys that were scared of, they had chains, they were naked, you know, they're crazy, they kill people, and over here calling pigs. They tell everybody, you know, they switched. And now, now these guys aren't that like that, and those pigs, they ran off into the, into the sea. And the whole town's sitting there thinking, really? <laughs> Let's go see. Look what it says. They kept the pigs and went, they went their ways into the city and they told everything that was befallen to the, to the one that was possessed of devils. Plural. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. Come to meet Jesus. Most of the city comes out to the sea, sea line shore and they meet Jesus and wouldn't you be glad oh wow this guy just took care of demon possessed and, and, he, and he got rid of pigs and, and you know pigs were unclean at that time they couldn't even touch pigs and they're sitting there Jesus has done a, a great miracle it, wouldn't you want him there wouldn't you do what the demons did and say son of God we, we bow and worship you for what you've just done is that what they do they don't welcome him. You know what they say to him? Go. What he said to the demons, the crowd now says to him. We don't want you here. You're unwelcome here. They didn't want the light and the life. They preferred the darkness and death. And they said, Jesus, we don't want you here. That's a sad story. I'll say this as a sidebar. But you can see it there. I want to make sure you... And when they saw him, they begged him that he would get back in the boat and go to the other side. Leave us. Leave us. How many churches do you know that may have said the same thing to Jesus? We don't want you here. Leave us. How many homes do you think said that? We don't want you here. Yeah. We don't want your lot. Do you know what lot does? If you pick up a rock and look what's underneath and all that darkness and all that mess, you see a bunch of bugs. And what do they go do? They go scurrying off. They don't like light. 
And sinful people don't like the light that Jesus brings. Leave us in our darkness. We don't want light. We don't want life. Leave us. There's some churches that will do that. We don't want it. When you kick out the word, you kick out Jesus. We don't want what it brings. It happens in our homes. It happens in our own life. I don't want it. He got back into his ship and he passed over to the other side and came to his own city. You don't want me here, I'll leave. Get this. Jesus was probably there. I may be wrong on this. I may have been there 30 minutes. Think about it with me. Travels through the storm overnight, six to eight miles, gets to the other side docks their boat, steps on the shore, immediately they come running down. They have their confrontation. Jesus gives them the command. They leave. They go back into the town, which isn't far away. Townspeople come, tell him to leave. He gets it back in the boat and goes. It may have been 30 minutes to an hour. He may have had breakfast there. And he gets back and he goes where he, back where he came from. You say, why on earth did he go there if he's going to turn around and leave? Jesus went there for two demon-possessed men. He will go through storm. I'll say this. He'll go through hell and high water to reach who he's going to save. And he reached two people that day and got back in his boat and left. He fought Satan. Two people. All that trouble. Two people. And he will go to all that trouble to save one of you here today. He actually went to more trouble than that by going upon a cross and dying. That's trouble. All to save the lives of somebody like me. You say, Josh, are you done with the passage? Not even close. I've got one more point. You guys know, I ain't told you what point three is yet. Because as I got to the end of verse 34, you know what I, I started thinking? And maybe you're thinking the same thing. But my question became, what happened to these guys? Right? I mean, that's, that's the question. We, we've, Jesus has left and went back. But what happened to the demon-possessed guys? And I, 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 what happened? So I want you to turn with me to Mark. Mark chapter 5. See? I mean, I, I know what you guys are thinking. What happened to these guys? So I'm going to show you point number, number 3, the last point for the day. I've showed you the, the supernatural confrontation. I've showed you the supernatural command. I want to show you now the supernatural change. And I've got like 15 minutes for this point, so you guys just settle in. The supernatural change. This guy is the picture of what happens when we're saved. Look at it with me. Mark chapter 5, verse 15. This is, this is the same story, but in a different gospel. Mark adds more to the story. He actually does 20 verses on this one story. Luke goes a little bit more in detail than Matthew. Matthew's probably the shortest of the stories. But in Mark 5, verse 15, this, when the crowd come back and they come to, to Jesus, and they, this is what the crowd saw when they got back. And they see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion. And what was going on here? I would underline it if I were you. I would take a pen. I would highlight this. Because when they see this guy, he's sitting and he's clothed and he's in his right mind. Amen. 
And they were, the word afraid there, it means they were amazed. This is a guy we've all been running from. This is a guy we've been scared of. Is that the same guy? He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's calm. He's clothed. He's in the right mind. Do you see what's happened to this guy? It's a complete and total change. It's a dramatic change that has taken place in this guy's life. He was naked and now he's clothed. He was out of his mind and he was. Now he's in his right mind. He was screaming, and now I can imagine him sitting in silence, uh, sitting uh, on, on in Indian style, looking up to Jesus and saying, "What you just do? You're you're you have to be God." Worshiping at the feet of Jesus, he was in chains, and now he's as cool as the other side of the pillow. This is a change. When I, when I turned to Mark five and saw this, my, my, I was like, "Wow." What an amazing change. How did that happen? 30 minutes ago, he was a maniac. And now he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. This is something ritual can't do. This is something religion can't do. This is something rule keeping can't do. This is only something that the supernatural power of Jesus can do. I see a lot of people in churches and they have their ritual. It don't change you. They have their rule keeping. It don't change you. They have their routines. It don't change you. They have their religion. It don't change you. Only Jesus can change a man. And that's what He does here. He's completely changed. Jesus has power to save and to deliver. Jesus did for this guy what nobody else could do. That guy couldn't do it himself. They tried to chain him down. If they had medicine, they probably tried to give it to him. But nothing they did could help the man. They could have took him and put him in church. Just <laughs> him. Would have done no good. Only Jesus can save and change a man. Some people will say a change isn't necessary when you get saved. You get this. I hear, I hear it all the time. Oh, it, all, it, change isn't necessary. You don't, have to, you don't have to change nothing. So you're telling me that demon-possessed man, if, if Jesus had said go, and that demon-possessed man stayed naked, kept cutting himself, kept breaking chains, and kept running back up into the tombs and sleeping, what would you have thought? He's still demon-possessed. But you've got all kinds of Christians running around, Christians running around, and they're still doing the same things they've always been doing. They're still in their nakedness. They're still in their, their darkness. They're still in their craziness. They're still in their out-of-controlness. They're still doing the same things they always did. But I met Jesus. Demons have that faith. Some people say that change isn't necessary. The Bible says change is inevitable. You say, where does it say that at? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, I could preach a whole sermon. I think I did on what it means to be in Christ. If you are saved, you are in Christ. If any man, any man is in Christ, then he is, not will be, he is a new creation. He is a completely new person. Something totally different than what he was. It's from darkness into daylight. It's from death into life. It's a completely new person. That you are changed when Jesus saves you. It says old things have passed away. And behold, some things have become new. Some of y'all didn't catch that. Some, some of you did. Let me read it again. Make sure this isn't in... In somebody else's Bible. 
He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, a few things have become new. Uh, uh, several things have become new. A couple things have become new. One thing has become new. I go to church every now and then. The Bible says, behold, get this word. All things have become new. You went from being what you what out of control, naked, dark, hurting yourself on your way to hell. And the moment Jesus saves you, you are completely brand new. So, for those who say change isn't necessary, again, the Bible says change is inevitable. It's proof that Jesus saved you. Brand new creature. Yes. That you have a testimony like this guy. He, I'll get to him in a second. Because look what happens next. Verse 15, he is sitting, clothed, in his right mind. You know what Jesus did with him? Where did he get clothes at? Where did Adam and Eve get clothes at? God provided. The Bible says that in our sin, it's, it's, it's nakedness, it's, it's nastiness, it's, it's filthy rags. And when we're saved, we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Yes. He clothes this man. In my mind, and I may be wrong on this, he takes off his cloak and he puts it on the man. Let me cover you. There's more to that I don't have time for. That's what Jesus did for you. Let me cover that. You ever been eating with somebody? I said I wasn't going to do it, but I'm going to anyway. You ever been eating with somebody? You walk up to the to pay at the end, and they, they come up behind you and say, oh, this is, this, I love it when this happens. I'm always looking for somebody to do this. <laughs> I'll cover that. I never fight back. <laughs> I never say, no, 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 I got it. I got it. I was hoping. <laughs> I look at Stan and say, yeah, amen. Six of us. <laughs> Jesus walks up to this my God. I've got it covered. You and your sin right now. You know what Jesus says? <clears throat> Why on earth would you look at him and say, I'll take care of him? And stand before God one day in your own sin. Foolishness. He clothes this man. Look what he says in verse 18. This guy's in his right mind. Because look what he says. And when Jesus was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed. You see that? I underlined it twice. He prayed him. Let me go with you. What, what, a, what a change, right? Let me get in the boat. And Jesus is like, you don't even know where I'm going. I don't care. I'm ready to go. We go back to the other stories like, oh, guys, I, I got to go bury my dad. I, I got to go I gotta go say bye to some people. I can't go right now. This guy has been saved. He's been changed. And he looks at Jesus and he, and he begs him, please let me go with you. Wherever you go, I'll go. Whatever you say, I'll do. You are now my master and my Lord. Please let me go. He's willing to do anything and go anywhere. We need more of this excitement in our lives. I've read that and I thought, I need more of what that guy has. Give me a dose of that. That's not in our churches anymore. We need more of, of that excitement, of that enthusiasm. He was bound and now he's free. And he stands and says, I'll follow you anywhere. But we need more of this. We don't have this in churches anymore. 
know why? We forgot what we were and what we are now. So Jesus, what's Jesus going to say? I'm almost done. I said 15 minutes. I'm on track. You say, Jesus is definitely going to say, hop on board. More the merrier. Verse 19. How be it? Jesus said no. Didn't he just get done asking a bunch of guys to get in the boat with him on the other side? And now he's telling this guy no? What's going on? He says, please let me go. Please let me follow. And Jesus says, no. I've got better plans for you. I've got something else I want you to do. And he looks at him and he says, I would underline this. By the time the sermon's over, you'll have everything, everything in the passage underlined. Jesus suffered him not, but said unto him, he tells him to go. Go home. That phrase will get some preachers in trouble. Go home. <laughs> go home. Go home why? Those other guys asked to go home and Jesus didn't let them. Because they wasn't saved. This guy is. And Jesus knew it. Go home to your friends. I could preach this verse all day long. Go home to your friends and tell them how great things that you have done for yourself. Yes. Wait, wait, wait. And I said, no. Tell them how great things the Lord has done for thee. It wasn't, it wasn't Him that did it. You go back to your home and you tell them what I've done for you. And He calls Himself the Lord and, and hath had compassion on thee. Yes. Has showed you love. Go back. Jesus is saying, they don't want me here. But you go back and you be, you be my witness. You go tell them what happened. Wow. In verse 20, this is what disciples do. He immediately obeyed. He departed. And look what it says. Immediately. Sounds saved to me, don't you? This guy sounds saved. Sounds like what we should be. I want to go. Jesus says, no. He says, okay. <laughs> You're going to go here. Okay, wherever you want me to go. And he goes. Sounds like he's under new management. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Go and... Look what it says. And he departed. And he began to publish. You want to underline another word? Publish. It's the same word in the Greek to preach. To herald the good news. And he goes into Decapolis. You guys know what that is? Ten cities. He becomes an evangelist for Jesus. He goes into Decapolis and he starts preaching. What does he start preaching? All that Jesus had done for him. Amen. And everyone marveled. And they were amazed at what Jesus had done for this guy. He goes walking back in the city and they say, what happened to you? And the answer is, Jesus. What happened to you, Jesus? What happened to you, Jesus? And he published it into ten cities in that area. Jesus said, go. He said, I'll go. And everywhere he went, Jesus did this and Jesus did that. And I think he's singing, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Tell it all around. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Go tell your friends. <laughs> Jesus saves. There's a guy here at church this week came to look at the floor with me. And we were just walking around over the gym floor looking at things. And I said, let me walk you out. And it was raining outside, so we didn't go up the normal way. We came up this way. And from the time we entered that door until the time we went out that door, all he could talk about was Jesus. 
I don't, I'm like, this is this is the kind of conversation I, I usually make people have. <laughs> is you the preacher? I said, yeah. He said, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Yes. <laughs> I was like, all right, man, let, let's, let's have it. He said, I was the biggest drunk in this town. He said, I was in jail. They put me in a drunk, drunk tank. And he said, it was just all the time drinking and drunk and doing this and swarping and doing that. And I was like, oh, well, I mean, he's just telling me all these things. I'm like, well, you know, TMI, man, you know. <laughs> and he said, about two years ago, Jesus saved me. Amen. Yes. He said, I ain't had a drop since. And get this, he said, I ain't wanted one since. We got to the outside of that door, and he, he he's sitting there saying, now, "Have you ever heard a story like that before?" And I started thinking, "This guy right here, he's publishing. He told me that. He said, everywhere I go, I tell him what I once was and what I am now, and that Jesus saves." Yes. I thought, "Wow, where am I at in that? I don't do that anymore. I need to start telling everybody that I know what I once was and what I am now, and that Jesus saves." That's what this guy did. Jesus took this guy who was a maniac and turned him into a missionary. Yeah. What's And there's some people in churches today, and I've got two minutes left and I'll close. There's some people in churches today that you look at them and there's what they are now, what they used to be is all the same. Yeah. No change of it. There's no I used to be and now I am. I used to be and now I am the same. How on earth can you say Jesus saved you? Even Amazing Grace says, I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. There's people in churches that haven't changed a bit. And they have the audacity to say that Jesus saved them. Brand new guy here. You saw, you know, some people change slow. (laughs) Maybe they do. I don't see it in this guy. I was seeing that guy talk to me the other day. I didn't see it in me. Behold, all things have become new. So I ask you this today. If you aren't saved, you may act better, but you're no different than that demoniac. No different. You say, what do you mean by that? Colossians 1.21 says, describing lost people, people without Jesus, unbelievers, as alienated, enemies of God, Hostile and doing wicked things. You may not be possessed by the devil, but you are enslaved by the devil. You're no different. You may clothe yourself. You may calm yourself down. But inside, you're just as wicked as that guy was. And the only answer is the same answer that that man had. is Jesus Christ. It's the only answer. I've had people ask me that before. If somebody's demon-possessed right now, what do you do? I said, they have to believe in Jesus. That's the only answer. The same answer for them, the same answer for you, or anybody in here that's lost. You believe in Jesus, and you will be set free from your sin, and they'll be cast as far as the east is from the west, and at the bottomless pit of the sea. He has the power to save. He has the power to set free, to forgive, to cast your sin away. But understand this, if you refuse to believe today and you say, I want my freedom, I want more time, I'm going to keep putting off, your day is coming. And Jesus will not only cast the demons into the darkness, He'll cast you into the darkness. You should be trembling in your seat today the power of Jesus if you're not saved.
believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today. He has the power to save you from any sin that holds you down. He gives us an example of a cutter, naked, out of control, dark, deadly, murderous. This list goes on and on. And Jesus can save that guy. He can save any guy in his room. That's how powerful he is. And all you have to do is believe. He can be saved. And if you're here today and you're saved, so simple. Go home and tell your friends. easy. Go home and tell your friends on Facebook what marvelous things Jesus has done. You have 800 friends on Facebook, go tell every single one of them. Go post them. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Jesus saves. We don't do it enough anymore. We've lost this. That guy wasn't ashamed of. One of my friends is going to say about me. (laughs) No. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Go home and tell your friends. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a wonderful, wonderful passage today. I needed to hear it. I need this enthusiasm in my life right now. Sometimes life gets takes it away. I think sometimes the devil takes our excitement and enthusiasm away. So God, we thank you for bringing it to my attention today. And throughout this week, this needs to be restored in me and I think in all of us. I pray that we would go home and tell our friends the marvelous things Jesus has done for us. Please. And God, if there's anyone in here that's lost, an unbeliever, I want them to know, I pray that you'd show them that we in this church love them and we want them to be saved. But more importantly, let them know that you love them and desire for them to be saved. And I pray that you, by your Spirit, would get a hold of them, save them, and change them. It's a power that only you possess. May they believe today, please. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the music plays, the altar.